This week, we talk local gaming and mini games in your campaign. Griff and I take on the infamous Skull and Shackles Bastards Fool drinking game, and our guest helps walk us through the first non-carrying crown creature feature. I'm your host, Steve, in studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the zone of truth. Yeah, say that every time, bud. Yeah, I think so. All Maybe right. that'll be my thing. I don't it's know. It's definitely your thing. It's like Brooks has the "I knew it." I knew it at the end of everything. I have the "Hey, everybody, welcome to the carry. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the Hades Life Podcast." You have, and we're back. Yeah, just like there's been a commercial break or something, except it's two weeks long. Um, <laughs> Griffin, it's a beautiful day out. It is, and we're inside recording once again. I think the only way to describe what we're doing right now is squandering our gifts. Yeah, I mean, if you can call any weather in Ohio a gift, that's probably over-exaggerating the day we're experiencing, but I do like being outside when it's 65, I'll tell oh, you that. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's cloudy, but 65 in April, I'll freaking take it. That's great. But, you know, we went to brunch, had a few cocktails. A little, I don't know, is four a few? I think traditionally they, they quantify three. Three's a crowd, three. right? Three's a crowd. Oh, yeah. Is four then a few or is four a mosh pit? I always thought that three was a few, but I guess maybe that's the crowd. Depends right. Depends on the audience. Maybe the per, crowd. Yeah, I was about the to say. Yeah. crowd, uh, four is a few. Yeah. Are you, uh, are, you, are you having an alcoholic beverage right now? I certainly am. I'm having a Smirnoff Spike Sparkling Seltzer Watermelon, mm. uh, which... You know, you got the bomb this morning that uh, watermelon is actually my least favorite flavor. I thought it was the raspberry rosé because I'm not a rosé guy, but it really, it snuck up on me. It grew on me. I used to be, I used to get drunk pissed when (laughs) that's all I had left. And now I, I feel, I feel like Haley and and me especially would like force feed you the rosés first because you'd get drunk on the other ones and get pissed off later in the day because you have to drink the rosés. Exactly. So we made you drink the rosés early when you were not drunk and angry. Now I got a taste for it. And now you like it. As for me, of course it's a hands. You've yet hmm. to uh, pull off the Zone of Truth team slurp. Yeah, I haven't done that yet. It'll happen. I uh, maybe just wait for like our tenth episode or something. Okay. Real special tenth anniversary. Yeah, the anniversary. Today's the anniversary. Well, Griffin, as much as I'm enjoying talking about your least favorite seltzer and my favorite hams, we got a guest in our studio. We do now. To me, this guy is the man who created that infamous hams dice tower from scratch, and he's a player in our off mic run of the Starfinder Dead Suns AP. He's GM'd several APs, modules, and scenarios for us and others, but to you at home, you may know him as 10 Lawn Gnomes in social media and our Discord. Welcome to the Zone of Truth, Eric. Welcome, guys. It is a pleasure to be here. I can guarantee I have failed my will save, so please don't ask any awkward questions. (laughs) I wanted to drop... uh, Eric, who do you have a crush on? (laughs) Oh, does celebrities count? I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Oh, crap. Anna Kendrick? 
And okay, that's a that's a good one. Yeah, man, I I thought you were about to say Anakin. <laughs> Anakin, <laughs> Star Wars. God damn, you have a one track mind. I wanted to do a little introduction myself because Eric is the first Pathfinder GM I ever had. He's the reason that me and Haley got into tabletop gaming. We fortuitously met him at a Pokemon Go bar crawl and has been a staple in all of our home games ever since. So happy to have you here, Eric, because it's just a blast to get to talk with the person that, you know, basically without him, I don't know. There I, probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be into Pathfinder. Yeah. So it's it's great to be here. I can say that the uh, apprentice has suppressed the master, although you can blame any of their bad habits and rules and stuff probably on me. <laughs> um, the, the Pokemon boat, our Pokemon Go bar crawl was fantastic, and I'm not exactly sure how we got on the topic of Dungeons and Dragons. Although I remember trying to like, hey, will you be our dungeon master? And trying not to make that awkward. Yeah, yeah, I but, definitely did that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been great. Uh, I actually haven't GM for you guys in a while since basically since we started up the Starfinder campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, but the I've I'm a one star GM. I actually looked this up earlier in the week. One star GM for Pathfinder Society. I've run about forty society scenarios and played in about sixty. What is that? <laughs> You're gonna cut him off mid sentence with the sirenscape, huh? I thought it was a little uh, smoother than that. It's not. It's not. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. You know the- we, we play music during this show. This is the meditation sound set coming out of the Bell Monk Temple. Sound greater sound set from Sirenscape. Yes, so that's uh, very dramatic. I'm not sure what that was worth it or not, but Dude, I, I appreciate it. Here, I, I have to apologize because in my notes, every single week I have turned on Sirenscape and it is fucking highlighted highlight bright green, and, and I forget, forget every, every week. Yeah. All right. So you're playing Pokemon Go with these guys. Mm-hmm. We haven't played. We haven't played with you as a GM in quite some time. Yeah. The 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 Iron Fang campaign. We got through about a fifth of book one. <laughs> Killing it. And it was a blast. Although I'm actually looking back over people's characters and realized Griffin was cheating. <laughs> but yeah. And then Starfinder campaign is great for the past uh, a bit over a year, I think. We've been doing yeah. Starfinder. I think that started up in like September based on the group me chats. I looked through the dates of when the Iron Fang stuff ended. Yeah. And then uh, for the past about year or so, I've been rocking or maintaining somewhere between 80 and 100% of the, the beard of the podcast. Yep. yep. <laughs> uh, I'm also probably the oldest in the group. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, down here for a bit over three years now, and it's been great. Although, again, at meeting you guys, I actually met Steve. We were doing a couple one-shots after running the dragon's demand campaign oh God, and it was steve that. and tim and that was when i realized that i need to step up my rp game <laughs> <laughs> because steve and tim did a futurama zap brannigan duo and it was fantastic I, we, we that were, was the one where tim came in with the uh, with the harmonica or whatever yes. or no the, yeah, yeah yeah it yeah, was yeah. um so i was um Shit, I think I was a sorcerer, but my character was like some sort of pirate captain, and he and Tim played like my first mate, um, who had I think he was a scald, maybe a scald or a bard. 
but he rolled in here, and I think this is, this is the first time like we ever played together. And like Tim and I rolled in. Tim has a fucking harmonica with a that has a bell on the yeah, top. Yeah, the bell. I remember that. Oh, uh, it was it was a blast. I had so much fun. You did a great job, GM, in that. That was that was good times. Yeah. So that was fun. That was after. So we did a couple of scenarios with uh, Haley Griffin and John, just to kind of teach them how to play. And that was kind of my bread and butter. I'd always played the Pathfinder Society stuff and then tried Dragon's Demand, realized there wasn't enough there in terms of RP and backstory. So we went to uh, eventually into Skull and Shackles. We got through book four of that, and that was a blast. Uh, Griffin, I made the mistake of offering you an extra point in charisma if you spoke with a lisp the entire time. Captain Gilthwith Swim, son of Captain Saltyballs, was born. Yes. If there was, you know, any question at home whether or not Griffin would take one extra point to an ability score to, like, fuck up his voice for a year. Uh, Come on, you knew it was more than a year. Yeah, yes. It was great. Yeah. Yes. Oh. I, loved, I loved being the captain and that being as ridiculous as my character was because Eric kind of let me run with the support bard. I, I was a water singer bard, and, and I kind of thought in Skulls and Shackles I was going to come into play more, but I had dumped so much into supporting my party members that it just became, if I'm not inspiring courage, I'm not <laughs> I'm not fucking contributing. Like, yeah. I, I'm giving people like a, a plus six or seven it got boost. Pretty, it got ridiculous at the end. Which was insane when John was a slayer and Haley yes. was a swashbuckler. Exactly. And, God. You know. I remember Haley, and we were actually playing these rules wrong, but Haley deflected three consecutive attacks from a Cyclops boss and returned the favor and one-shotted basically a mini-boss of the campaign. Yeah, it was insane. Oh, my God. That's, that's crazy. So... Eric, you've had you know you've you've had a lot of experience playing Pathfinder. Have you dabbled in any other systems? A little bit back in college when Four U was just coming out, and then we realized Pathfinder is a lot more fun. Uh, hey, we, there it is. There, there it is. is uh, especially when they came out with Five E, just everything starting with a base number of eight seemed really confusing, since eight's not a really happy number. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then beyond that, more board game role play stuff than tabletop and pen and paper. Sure. So, I mean, Zombicide, that kind of thing is its own oh, version. Good times. All right. So earlier you mentioned that you are a legitimate one-star GM. I have an idea of what that means. I know that there's a lot of people at home listening that don't. So one star, you get your first star after you've run 30 scenarios. And this is like an official ranking with Paizo, the folks that make the game that we all know and love. Correct. And that was actually one of the reasons that I also decided to stick with Pathfinder is because they do have a set of rules that is international. So you can go to various conventions and just take your character from place to place because everyone's playing with the same rules. Mm -hmm. So I got back into Pathfinder actually... When I moved up to Akron a couple of years ago, and okay, I'm a single guy. What is this going on? I ladies. No, I needed a way to make friends. You so way I to fa- make lady make lady friends. Uh, play some Pathfinder. Um, I wouldn't recommend Pathfinder to start with that. <laughs> Maybe a different but, system. But it does get you a way to find uh, find people that at least have similar interests. Well, you found so, us in Columbus. Maybe. True. True. So, oh, oh, great. Again, the society play is great with 
Pathfinder because everyone's using the same rules. I started on a meetup group and okay, Akron Pathfinder Society. And then that branched off into there's actually Ohio has a fantastic network of people. I actually looked online this week. There are 17 games going on in Ohio every week. Wow. There's about seven in Columbus. Most of them are on the weekend. A four or five up in the greater Cleveland area. There's a couple or one or two in Dayton, one or two in Akron, and then a couple down in Cincinnati. And they just run these games. So you can jump in whenever you want. You can play your character up through level 12 through Pathfinder Society. And it's a great way to support local game stores, find people with similar interests. You don't even have to play the entire time. So as a one-star GM, I've played and ran at least 30 of those. And then as a player, I was in about 65 of them. Wow. So... Uh, again, so I, I played basically every weekend. So when I met these guys at the bar crawl, it's like, hey, do you, do you know Dungeons and Dragons? Like, that's what I've been doing literally every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> do I know it? I live it. Uh, yeah, I, I guess it's okay. I guess I have a passing experience with that game. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it was also great because what it allowed us to do, the way Pathfinder Society is set up is when you GM, you still get a credit. Mm-hmm. So when the people in Up in Akron, There wasn't enough GMs. So we had a table of five people, and most societies are written for four plus the GM. So it's like, okay, I'll step up. I'll run a game every other week. But because you get a GM credit, my character didn't fall behind in experience. So we could literally keep the same five characters and everybody leveled together. I I love this because many a drunken night, Eric has talk to me about his GM babies which are his characters that he is able to like basically build up and actually form a, a really cool build that maybe is difficult to take a character at level one and build them because because he's able to use his GM credits to level them up and make them you know a level five character or whatever he's doing which kind of Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it gives you a lot more flexibility yep. in build. You're actually allowed to change your character up until it has played a scenario as a level two or higher. So you can make a completely different character at levels 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, because you have three three scenarios per level. Sure. Unless you're on some crazy experience track. So you can try out different builds, and then if you just build up GM credits, we call them gray blobs, and okay, hey, we needed a caster. Okay, I've got one ready. I'll use my GM credits on this, and then it's uh, I have a level five sorcerer. That's so cool, man. That just makes me feel like I have wasted my adolescence not <laughs> not going to these like society meetups. So they're a lot of fun. That's basically what you'll see at things like Gen Con and Origins or Pax yeah. Unplugged, that kind of thing. You'll see the tables, and you sign up for them. Great thing was when I was running games, uh, a place called the Malted Meeple, I got a free milkshake when I was running the scenarios. So some places will give you... Uh, I mean, a boon as, hey, thanks for helping bring people to our local store. Yeah. Uh, it's great to support the area. Well, I mean, a milkshake. I mean, that's all you need. It, well, put a little put a little, uh, little actually, Kahlua in there. Actually, I, what I went with, uh, they had a thing called the red shirt. The red shirt. It was a red velvet milkshake with Angry Orchard in it, and it was fantastic. Uh, that sounds really I've been dope. I've been playing with, for years with you dumbasses, and never once have you given me a milkshake. But I guess I haven't GM'd all that. You're not much, worth so. it. Eric's yeah. the only one to get milkshakes. Huh. It's the only way we can get him to come back. Wait, do 
do we have to give him a milkshake now for coming yeah, on the show? Yeah, we owe him one. Fuck. You know, I didn't want him slurping it on mic, but he was getting one after the show. Oof. Get one of those giant bendy straws. <laughs> <laughs> Eric's sitting 30 feet away from the mic shouting, and he just has this giant bendy straw. He's sucking on the milkshake that's right next to the mic. I can't believe it. Oh, my God. That's wonderful. So how do you find these games, man? So most of them will get posted through the local games. So I found the group through Meetup, which is just a social gathering of people. And, and, it, and it literally, you went on this app, and literally it was like Pathfinder group. Yeah, yeah. Like, for GM it's like Tinder for Pathfinder? It was, no, it's, it's, it's more like... like right uh, it was more like uh, basically, hey, here's a uh, people interest. Like there's a kayaking group, uh, yoga moms of wherever area. So it was, here's a group. So and all then, the cool athletic people go for kayaking. All the hot moms go for yoga, and then I, I, the, I, I didn't look, the gross nerds. I, go did, for I didn't look hunter. into it that much. So yeah, I mean that's where it started. And then once you get to know the people who are running it, they kind of hook it. Hey, here's where we are organizing it. Mm-hmm. So. You can actually go on Paizo's forums. They do have a couple local things. And one of the great things Paizo does is if you don't have a game in your area, you can apply to be what they call a venture agent. And as long as you're running, I think it's at least two scenarios a month, they will, and don't quote me on this, I'd have to look into it a little bit more, but they'll actually give you for free all the scenarios uh, uh, for, e- for really each cool season. So you can run it and bring more people into the game. And I think Paizo as a whole, as a company, is very good about that kind of stuff, very good about their creating not quite a social outreach, but just a, like, hey, we want to extend as a brand, like, we want to extend to people that are interested in playing this that maybe don't have the local game store. Yeah, they make it very accessible. And actually, last night, I played my first game over Roll20 with a bunch of people I met through the HLP Discord channel. Oh, that's so cool. So, who was on there? That was uh, Buster Knuckle. Oh, geez. I'm, he GM'd it, right? He, yeah, he GM'd it. Buster. Uh, my boy. Buster. Our, our boy, man. Yeah, that guy's awesome. We had. Uh, I'm not. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. I could go through the, the notes or whatever and look through everybody's gamer tag and. But, yeah, we just started Tyrant's Grasp, which is another thing about the Whispering Way and the Whispering Tyrant. I I I, I heard people talking about Tyrant's Grasp. I didn't realize that you were – that that's what that was, that you guys were actually starting to play it. We did our – they were calling it Session Zero, but I think of Session Zero as, hey, we're all making our characters. This was, to me, a Session One where everybody had their characters made. And we did a bunch of RP, had our first combat. Yeah, introduction. It was fantastic. We got people from all over the world. Literally, uh, a couple people on the West Coast, East Coast, and Australia. So, I got the Australia oh, that's boy. amazing! <laughs> so that's awesome. it was a ton of fun. It went from about ten thirty Eastern time till about three thirty in the morning. So, we guys turning up a little bit in HLP fashion. It was it was fun. That's awesome. <laughs> it was fun. I love it. That 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 is so cool. If I if I can ask, what class are you playing? I am a Silver Balladeer Bard, which I actually <laughs> I actually awesome. rolled up thinking I might be an NPC in your guys' carrying crown game, and then it's like, oh, this is also dealing with Whispering Tyrant. Let me just take that character, level it down to level one, and go from there. Sure, but it was really cool seeing Roll Twenty because one, it's a great way to be able to play games with if you don't have a big group or if you're in a small town and can't get together. Or, 
there's no place. I mean, even Panera is actually really friendly to gamers. If you just have a table and okay, be nice, order some food and drink from them. They'll let you have a table. And that's actually where I played my first society scenario was at a Panera from like five to nine. (laughs) That's Um, actually kind of dope that they're, I mean, some places I can imagine just you're taking up a table for four hours. Like, come on. Yeah. So if people don't have that option, Roll20 or the other online games are a really sweet option. I've never done virtual tabletop, and you guys know me from playing with me. I am a hardcore, this is a pen and paper game. That's what we love about you. I am the only one in our Starfinder campaign who still has a physical character sheet. Oh, fucking blow me. I have a a physical character sheet. Get out of here, Eric. With these baseless accusations. These baseless accusations. I, I I do take a lot of the blame for going digital with a lot of the stuff. I realized I may have blown that out of proportion when I told you to blow me. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's one of those things like this game table is really hard to get under. So that's true. There's just too much stuff under it. A lot of cords. Too many games. A lot of cords. A lot of too many lot games. Of, a lot of rule books. There might be a cat under there. I There's have to probably check. a cat. <laughs> There's probably a cat wandering around down there. So you're playing at Panera Breads. You're working. You're working all these start these 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 uh, society scenarios, and a little peek behind the curtain. The two of us were talking a little bit about things you might want to cover on this session. One of the things you brought up was incorporating mini games into your into your you know overarching campaign or, or module or story. I, I don't have a whole lot of experience with that, so I'd love to pick your brain a little bit about you know what constitutes a mini game in like an adventure how you achieve that and what happens when you do that. Is it fun? Like what's going on? Spoiler alert. It is fun. (laughs) So going to get into some minor spoil spoilers for the skull and shackles campaign, specifically books three and four, but mini games to me, at least a lot of them are written into the story as for example, we have a competition between two characters. Yep. You're going to have a couple dice rolls, and instead of just say, okay, make three opposing strength checks, you just add a little more flavor to that to describe what's going on. There's rules in Pathfinder for performance combat mm-hmm. on, hey, you're a gladiator, rile up the crowd by doing something really cool, and that might give you a bonus to your rolls. There's chase mechanics. So if you're trying to chase somebody through town, oh my, every character has a 30 move speed. This is going to be really boring. But there's actually rules like, okay, in order to get past this fruit vendor, you can make an acrobatics check to jump over the cart or a strength check to just plow through it. That kind of stuff. So if you think of the cinematic montages in movies, you can think, okay, maybe here's a climb check. How do you get across it? And then add some flavor to that. So it's a way to just add some flavor or things to stories that otherwise might not need any roles or take up just some time. As opposed to hand-waving it, you can add some story to it and make, the, make your less-used things, such as diplomacy or survival, make a little more sense. Even, I mean, granted, I've never seen so many appraised roles other than the uh, Carrying Crowd podcast here. <laughs> but you don't see... I mean, swim or handle animal or that kind of thing used as often, especially yeah. out of combat. So, oh, so, so why not blow it up and make it weird and interesting and cool? Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Exactly. So and would then, you say it's more 
Is this something that you would say has to be kind of ingrained and set in stone, like the chase mechanics, or is this something you would add to almost any cinematic moment? Because, because yes, a lot of things that we as GMs ask players to do are a series of roles. Is it is it is it more maybe giving the players agency in? what they roll to do that? I think it's especially useful if you think that, hey, they need to do this, but they kind of suck at it. <laughs> so I remember running a scenario on Pathfinder, Pathfinder Society scenarios are designed to be completed by any party. This was the first time we had just kind of reset as a group, and we rolled up with a fighter, a barbarian, a paladin, and a ranger. A well-rounded, <laughs> well-rounded party. It was a stealth mission. <laughs> oh no! It was a. Oh, no! It was a sneak around like through the servants' quarters while this presentation was going on. So I activate rage. We ended up with our potted plant of hiding that okay. we were passing between people. Oh gosh! And I mean, just imagine like a cartoon picking up this giant potted plant from a lobby and just kind of carrying it. Oh, it's like a. Why is that potted plant <laughs> clanking? It's it's like it's like Metal Gear Solid, like <laughs> with, the the box. Box. Yeah, with the box, <laughs> completely hit it. Exactly. That's amazing. So just kind of adding some flavor to things that okay, this is ridiculous. Let's see if you can pull it off by doing something that might not normally apply. Mm-hmm. Other things, and we ran into this, and that's what the Bastards Fool game you guys talked about and the intro was, are just completely different mechanics of, hey, this is going to be something you're – there's no other way to do this other than to write our own rules for it. Yeah. So Bastards Fool, the way it is, it's supposed to represent a kind of a card game very similar to Blackjack. Sure. And it's represented with your dice – so if you have one of every dice set, and I see Griffin... Does we all have, do. Okay, we well, okay, there's the bag. I'll give Steve a set. Oh, no, I've got one He's right got here. He's got his... Okay, so I mean, everybody there's, has their, there's conservatively 60 sets of dice on this table. There's a ton of dice here, and so what happens is, and it looks like we're all set up to play. Oh, fuck. We're, we play. Oh, no. And I gotta tell you, listeners, this was the most drunk I have ever been in in a Pathfinder session. Usually I like to keep some sort of faculty with me. This game fucked my life to death. It was Which fantastic. is why we're only playing part of the game. Yes. So <laughs> we have a lot to do today. Backstory on how you get to this part in Skull and Shackles is after completing a couple things and acquiring your own ship and your own little bit of land, you need to gain favor with the, they call him the Hurricane Lord, who's kind of the Lord of Pirates. Think of Pirates of the Caribbean. You need to prove your mettle. Sure. So one of the kind of mini games is having one of the crew set up the rigging. And so there's some a bunch of rolls to climb the mast, and they try to knock you off, that kind of stuff. Then there's this one, which is a card game to test your mettle against the first mate of the Hurricane King. And so you have to basically win 100 platinum pieces from him. Um, spoilers, he is cheating. And so he is not affected by the alcohol that is being drunk after that person loses the round. But both my player and me as a physical person, since you made me drink for my player, yes. were affected by the alcohol. Yes. So the way this game works is you start with your D20 and you will roll it. 
The goal is to get exactly 20 or as close to it without going over. That represents your opening hand. And then depending on how you roll, you may acquire more cards as in, again, if you think of like five card poker, you give away a couple cards and you draw some more. You get to pick another one of your dice, so you have d4, d6, d8, d12, d10, and try to get, again, get as close to 20 as possible without going over. And as closest to 20 at the end of the round, the person that wins? Correct. Cool. If you go over, you bust. Just like blackjack. Yes. So, if, for example, if I rolled a 17, I wouldn't want to roll a d10, even the average might be a 6. Uh, yeah, not want to roll a d4, if, if anything. Maybe exactly. you stay with that 17. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And so the cheating aspect of the Skull and Shackles game is he has the dealer bribed and automatically can add anything between 1 and 4 to his roll for free. Now I remember in this game getting to roll... I think it was stuff like sleight of hand and yes. that kind of stuff to give to give the players an advantage in yes. that scenario. So you so. can do that, and it was, again, a lot of fun to try to aid the captain. Since only one person has the cards, the rest of the crew could try to aid a little bit. And it took actually the other guys a little bit to figure that out, that, hey, we can try to help him either with divination magic to see what his cards are, that kind of stuff. We can, we can help Griffin not die of alcohol poisoning. Yes. And Weird it, that nobody helped for yeah. <laughs> four rounds. And eventually you could like use a perception check to see that the dealer is cheating and then he gets kicked out he automatically loses the next round and then it's more of a fair fight yeah. so all right well uh i i think we should be on even playing grounds this should be a fair fight so let's yep. just go for it already kick what us you, off what do you have the captain's uh, mirror behind you no the window's not that reflective sorry <laughs> all right so how do we get started so we'll just start off with uh roll a d20 Okay. And then I'll announce my rolls, and you guys can see who wins from there. So I rolled an 18. Ah, so oh, fuck. We're screwed, Steve. This is problematic. I am not going to add any dice to mine, but... You don't want to roll that d4? Uh, I mean, I certainly could. I do have a shot prepared. Um, oh, yeah. We've all got shots prepared, and I will say that Griffin poured these shots. Um, it's this infused vodka, this, like, pear-infused vodka. It's delicious. Um, my parents gave it to me when they were in town last time, but uh, mine is... Uh, oh, these aren't shots. These are double shots. Yeah, these are doubles. Yeah, and they're my, doubles. Griffin poured these all the way to the brim. To the top. All right. Uh, so I, I got a 10 in my roll. I okay. got an 8 on mine. So you guys can decide how much you want to wager, as in roll pick another die. Okay. So the way I think of it is, I mean, what's your average or and what's your max? So a D6 is going to be maybe a 3 or a 4 but up to six and then kind of go from there. So I think, uh, I mean, Griffin's probably going to want to roll to 12. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I'll, I'll roll my D 10. So go from there and we'll see, uh, who our illustrious drinker will be. That's another eight. So I'm at 16. I got a six. That's a 16. All right. Alrighty. Um, well I still win. So I think you both are going to drink. I don't get to roll again. <laughs> nope. It's no, two. Yeah, I only get two. All right, All right. bud. Cheers. Batten down the hatches because uh, this is going to be a long shot. Oh, my. <sighs> it's like, <laughs> like three distinct swallows. Oof. It's a big boy. All right. Well, you may have bested us this first round. But yep. We will I, s- I'm ready to roll again. We'll see how this goes. Actually, I'm rolling these dice from the first time. One of the great ways I love to f- support places that... Uh, 
sell books, all that kind of stuff, is to buy the dice from them. So I actually picked up two sets of dice from one of the booths at the Renaissance Festival that we went to last summer, and this is the first time I've had a chance to roll them. They look kind of like burnt glass, so it's pretty sweet. Yeah, dude, I love those dice. They're uh, You got the one set that reminds me of, like, it's almost autumn, and then the other one is the spring dice set, in my mind. Yeah, that is true. One of them has a little more, more blue to it than the other one. So we'll post some pictures up on the Discord or something like that. All right. That's Round two. substantial amount of vodka. All right. Round two. Round Everybody two. rolling their D20. All righty. I have a four on my die. I've got a three. 17, baby. All righty. So I think Griffin will probably stay with his. Granted, he could roll a D4 and just hope I he doesn't I think I'm going to roll out. a D4. Bastard. We're going to see what happens when you bust. Just to rub it in. Uh, I'm going to go with my D12. And can, I, see. can I roll my D20 again? No. no. Oh, yeah, God. So you got to roll the no. D12. That sucks. All right. So I can't win. I win unless I bust, but that's why I'm doing the bust mechanic to see if it happens. You just like busting. I got a one, so I'm at an 18. I have an eight, so that brings me to a 12. I got a two, that brings me to a five. Hey, All guys, right. uh, suck alcohol because I fucking won this one finally. There we go. Eric. Cheers. Coming across the table. Cheers. How's defeat taste? Um, surprisingly good. <laughs> surprisingly good. We got an optimistic guest. Uh, that's not that's not very like us. <laughs> All right. I think third game and then we're done. Ooh. Yeah, with these shots, I think that's fine. Maybe you'll win this time, Steve. I don't know, man. All righty. Let's try this one more time. All uh, right. How Oof. are we doing? Is Steve going to pull, pull his way back? <laughs> this is not good. I'm going to get really fucked up. Motherfucker. I got an 8. I got a 13. You got a 5. Oh, somebody's closer. Alrighty. I'm going to roll a D8 with the chance of failure, I think. A D12 puts me at a possible even, so... Uh, D12 puts me up to, at maximum, 17. All right, let's go. Guys, I busted. I got that eight. Well, I got, I got that a eight. seven total. Nice. Uh, I got a 10 that puts me in 18. In the words of Ghostbusters, busting makes me feel good. Very nice. God. All right, well, I'm right. automatically drinking. Who who won this one? I got Eric an 18. Won. I've, uh... I feel like in solidarity with your alcohol problems on the podcast, I will. Finish, you're good. You're a good man. Finish this off with a good drink. A minute after this one. Cheers. To the governor. Oh, well, that was a blast. I love pumping a couple of shots into myself before we uh, finish out the Zone of Truth. But oh, we're only like halfway done. Shit. That was like, <laughs> that was a double. I, like years. I backed off a little bit on those last two shots, so they was, those were like regular, just one shots. So, so I had four shots in five minutes. If you can imagine, take I think we did take sadistic GM away from it. He's just a sadistic person for making me play ten rounds of that while he was cheating. Oh, yeah. So while Griffin's <laughs> doing this, I'm not drinking as well, even though I'm technically playing as well. So it was fantastic. I, I definitely... I, I think I kept my count okay because it didn't it didn't hit me 
Yeah. Until, you know, after we had finished the game, because it was so much so quickly, I, I believe I had eight shots in the span of probably 45 minutes, which was, you know, I mean, that's... that's that's That'll do you. That'll do you. A little that'll dabble do you. But it was, I mean, just getting into the skulls, like, and maybe this is a little off... Steve's script, but I just want to talk to you, Eric, about, like, the amount that we got into just, like, living the Skulls. Like, (laughs) we had rum every session we played Skulls and Shackles. We just got a new handle of rum, and we worked through it, and and we played fucking Alestorm pirate metal every session. Like, every album that they had, we just fucking played the entire discography when we played our characters were were so invested and and I know I ended up having to play also the we had a player that was kind of in and out every other session so now I'm really good at playing an alchemist <laughs> if only for just throwing bombs cuz you just ran two I just, characters I, well, I ran yeah. I mean at the end of it I ran what I think we were level 11 or 12 yeah. like at a level 11 or 12 alchemist and every time I was like he's going to show up I don't want to be the guy that picks his spells for him. So he like never had good extracts and I was just throwing bombs, but, but my bard was buffing him with that plus seven. And so he's throwing bombs. It's impossible not to hit with touch unless he rolls a one. Yeah. That, that alchemist definitely saved your life. Oh yeah. In yeah. A couple of scenarios, especially at the very end of book four, there was a pretty much guaranteed TBK if I would have remembered one of the abilities they had. <laughs> um, but at the beginning of the book, there was also a, a TPK that we ended up storing our way out of because I felt as a GM, I didn't accurately portray the threat you were in. And that brings us to the first Zone of Truth creature feature that is not featured by me, your GM. It is featured by Eric because I played this scenario and I want to hear the juicy details about what exactly this fucking storm of harpies was. Please, Eric, describe this to me. Uh, actually, um, I was. you guys were geeking out about Skull and Shackles, and I was over here thinking about a good transition. Um, I wanted to talk, you know, the burning sensation after taking four shots it reminds me of herpes, which reminds me of harpies. So, do you have a lot of firsthand experience with that? No, actually not. Steve, thank you so much for that. Uh, that really was a big value add. I appreciate it. Thanks. I'm just trying to be part of things. <laughs> so, so Steve, I want you to picture a group of six flying fiendish beings flying Bitch. at you. I mean, and sorry, you, can, I mean, you can see them coming from over the other side of the bay. So you have probably three or four rounds before. And you did give us that. Yeah. I remember you giving us that. They So you, you can identify them as their harpies. Okay. Harpies have what is called a captivating song. Where Sounds enticing. For each harpy, you need to make a will save, or you will only act to move closer to said harpy, and then once you are next to that harpy, you will do nothing at all. You forfeit your turn, like it, it's, and it's you do total not coup de grace territory. You, you do not resist their attacks once you are next to them. Oh my god! A standard harpy is a DC sixteen will save. 
Okay. You only have to make it once. And, and I'm sorry, at what point in the campaign did this take place? This was uh, the very start of book four. Okay, so, so the characters DC are 16 ru- is... Di- no, it's no, not, not too hard difficult. at that point. So the d- d- standard harpies is the DC 16. These were giant fiendish ones, which okay. bumped the DC to an 18. Oh. And there were six of them. So, so you're you, rolling six a lot. So yeah. you need to make six consecutive will saves. If you fail one of them, you are essentially ripe to be coup de grace. That's now, Steve, wild. Can you imagine, as a character with the capability of countersong, can you imagine failing? And that is like the first I, round. <laughs> and that is where I felt that did, did I didn't portray. Can you imagine if that would have happened, how, how terrible that would have been? Yes. And I did give them the option because if in the act of walking towards the harpy that you failed to save on, if it brings you into a life or death situation, such as you're on the edge of a cliff, uh-huh. you get Which a we second, were. you get a second save. All four party members failed all. Like first round fail. I mean, I mean, somebody, yeah. like, I mean, imagine rolling like you're rolling six fucking saves. I don't care what your will save is. It, you're it's, gonna. It's, you're it's gonna a numbers hit. game. Yeah, exactly. You, you you roll enough times, eventually a two or a three is gonna show up on the dot. Like, could I have saved and countersonged as a bard and and helped everybody's will save? Yes, but but as a bard, like, I had a decent will save, but I. I can't protect myself against the fours and fives. Yeah. And that, and that killed me. So That's what got me. Basically, one is people always forget they're allowed to attack outside the first range increment. So everybody had a longbow. You could have been shooting at them when they were 400 feet away. Exactly. And, and I think that was definitely something that us as a inspiring and a bombing and a melee focused party we didn't even think to the hey we all have like probably at least a masterwork if not plus one longbow on our backs that we could just start yeah granted Haley really loved throwing her tridents with her swashbuckler (laughs) but beyond (laughs) that everybody i think had at least a short bow or something but the 20 foot range increment hit hurt you there that certainly does yeah and then also, as a bard with counter song, I, I didn't really emphasize the if you play counter song, it's your performance check for to at, that can take the place of the will save. Now, at this point, versus my performance, my perform oratory was at a, I think we were level nine, maybe something around level nine. I think my perform oratory was at a plus twenty ish, so. Huge! If I could have gotten the yep. if I could have gotten the counter song off, and I think we ended up you ended up retconning it at maybe not retconning it, but like at some point I had saved and counter song yeah we, and, and help people, but but by then it was too late. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the other crazy thing about harpies is that song, their captivating song, has a range of three hundred feet. Oh my god! So yeah. when they're yeah. out there for two rounds, that you can hear it, and you're starting to it actually is, walk towards them. This is an insane encounter. It is it's, it's fucking bonkers. It was really. I mean, Eric. I thought Eric played it really well because, like, it was. I can't imagine that wasn't. Imagine if you didn't have a bard with counter song, mm-hmm. and even if I, you know, even if you hadn't let me like four rounds in throw that out there like when I saved it's just like if you have no counter song and you're you're DC 18 against six things at level nine 
one of them's going to hit you. And, and and I think the only saving grace is that they're on the other side of the cliff mm-hmm. until they pass over you. Yep. And so there's at least some time. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I thought it was a like a round-by-round round save. I don't know if that's it's, true. That. No, it's not. But what ends up happening is, because you're on the edge of the cliff, as you get to the edge of the cliff, you get a second save. Right. And then the other benefit of basically because you're basically in the water. Yeah. Uh, what ended up happening is, and how we kind of stored through this was you go underwater as you're walking towards them. And that was, okay, you're under the song. You don't hear them anymore. Yeah. Oh. And I think so. one of the other things that we ended up running was I remember distinctly, I used spider climb to get up the, up the cliff. Mm-hmm. And it was still in effect when they were, leading me down the cliff and I remember you saying yes if this was, if this was a life threatening situation you would get another save but you are just walking down yeah. the fucking cliff so we do have some listener questions to get to this sounds deadly as shit but I think myself and everybody at home wants to know right now how did this play out so did, did our hero did our heroes triumph our did heroes we have, did we have four coup de grace our heroes eventually got essentially frog marched back towards the harpy den and as they go under the river they were under the wall long enough that they could make another save okay so i think griffin probably got his senses about him first i started getting it and i started counter yes and he was able to do that and so eventually but it was one of those where it was just so it's such a, it's such, I mean, from, from 400 feet away, it's such an ambiguous combat that, oh, the worst. Chalk this up to me being like this being my first AP playthrough or whatever, but don't even because I'm a dumb fucker. I never even thought of Countersong until people were fucking walking off the goddamn cliff. And one of the worst parts about it was harpies aren't a normal thing in this campaign you're right. fighting humanoids yeah. this is a pirate campaign oh sure so this yeah. is a complete blindside of what is this i think the most exotic thing you fought up to that point was maybe a manticore and or i think, some I think that's well. like a really good point though because I, I i brought it up last zone of truth and i want to bring it up with you because you played through some some paizo adventure paths and you and you you know have great gm chops what do you think of the kind of in my mind, as I've been reading through, somewhat random, actually written in the book encounters that just, they, I'm not going to say are entirely out of place, but with the face spider, it, it just doesn't fit in with the themes that, that mm-hmm. Paizo was trying to put forward in, in books one and two of Carrying Crown. What do you think about that as far as like Skulls and Shackles went? I've noticed, and I've read through a couple APs, that every AP has... Essentially, one book that seems a bit out of left field. Okay. Oh, so, I totally get you. So you love crap, book four. Let's uh, exactly. Let's and and honestly, it always seems to be book four. So for Skull and Shackles, book four is essentially, hey, clear this island of creatures, and you're facing a bunch of cyclops versus the I'm on a boat pirate campaign that is three other five and everyone at that point is so optimized for ship to ship combat and for for being like my profession 
what was it, profession sailor, exactly. was through the roof, and I didn't yeah. have any survival to be yeah. on this island. I, I'm currently reading through the Serpent Skull AP, which I love reading mm-hmm. through. It's a lot of fun. But it, you're, you're right. Book four is, is fucking wacky. Like, the book four in that AP is, until now, you're book one you're on this you're on this desert island or deserted island you're trying to find out what's going on then you uh, journey into the Mwangi expanse you find this crazy city and then book four is like eight back-to-back dungeon crawls that is like the extents <laughs> yeah. of the book it is it is you're going into eight or seven or eight different tombs and each one is like a slog it's weird and book four of the curse of the crimson throne is mostly kind of a political overthrow of the crone uh, overthrow the crown campaign and then book four is what's the crown up to well <laughs> what's, what's book four's crown who's that so book that four is? is basically clear out this literal castle that is overrun by undead complete left turn yeah so i actually really would love to run just book four as a one shot because it's immense oh, of undead cool. but well, and i've actually that seen the one that you had um Maybe not. Maybe not a physical resource. I, I thought you I were bought talking the anniversary about, like, edition, so it's all six books as one hard. Book. But I thought you were talking about like book four of Carrying Crown specifically having like the maps. I've actually seen people who have made the physical castle like to scale out of like foam board. That's so. It would cool. literally be the size of this table, and it's five levels. We should just like drop everything we're doing and buy one of those and play it. It's so fucking it cool. looks, Patreon goal. Let's buy. <laughs> yeah. Patreon goal. We're gonna stop producing the podcasting. Play one book of of uh, Curse of the Crimson, Curse of the Crimson Throne by ourselves. So yeah, it looks like it's a lot of fun. Eric's GM. but it's a uh, it's it looks like a slog. It looks like a slog. Well, we've got some mail. We've got to answer it. People want. People have questions. We've got to answer. Listener questions. Let's Listener get questions. it. Eric, I want you to be especially perceptive of this part. All right. So our first question comes from a Discord user, Buster Knuckle. Buster Knuckle, my boy. Our boy. Um, he, he asks, Griffin, do you listen to any music to get you in the zone for a game session? I would, however, like to say that we also got a question from our great friend, Eric, who's in studio with us right now, that also says, do you have any intro slash pump up song that gets you that, that, uh, that gets played before each session? So what I want to do with this, with these, like with these dual questions is, uh, is first address. Yes, we do listen to a couple songs beforehand and some of, in like some of our games, but kind of more address the like ritualistic, um, ways we start playing yeah definitely i mean everything we do seems to seems to be focusing back on a ritual it seems like you know and i think humans are ritualistic uh things you know and and so we enjoy having this solid anchor in which we get into the role-playing mindset i want to start off with and because, you know, my esteemed guest and my esteemed co-host are both oh. parts of this campaign, our Dead Sons campaign is very fucking ritualistic. We start the session every time with a song. What would that song be, boys? Cantina Boys by Bauer. I don't know uh, if, if you guys want to tell the story or I can. Um, go for it. Go for it? Okay, yeah, cool. It. So... 
when we very very first started playing the Dead Suns AP, it's Starfinder. I'm a crazy Star Wars fucking nerd. And no, really? Oh, I think yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. is at least a little bit. A little bit. But I mean, Steve takes it to a oh, certain ab- level. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, early in the campaign, and this is not how we started the campaign, but early in the campaign, there's a there's a an interaction that takes place in in like a in like a sci-fi club. And when we got to the club and started, you know, doing some role play in it, I shouted out to the uh, Alexa in the room that we have to play. Oh, she didn't trigger. That's great. <laughs> I know I was really rolling the dice on that one. I, I shouted out to her to play uh, the the Cantina song um, from from Star Wars. Yeah. And she misheard us and started playing Cantina Boys by Bauer. And it's this weird remix of the Cantina song it's from, from Star Wars. It's fantastic. It's it's a it's what I would classify as a fucking banger. It's a banger. Um, and so basically every session for Starfinder ever since that that session, we all show up at Griffin and Haley's place where we play like virtually all our games. We we're downstairs. We grab a couple drinks. We roll upstairs to the game room. We settle down. We're shooting the shit. We're bullshitting. We're we're throwing back a couple cocktails and. It, inevitably someone will say Alexa play Cantina Boys and the whole room will shut up and we all just listen to Cantina Boys I think we listened to the first like before we even go into the the episode discussion Alexis stop (laughs) she she uh, she picked up on that but uh, but yeah, so so we'll 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 tell her to play the song. We all shut up and listen to it, and then as soon as the song's done, it's on. It's game time, and everyone is in like the zone. Everyone's ready to go. Um, honestly, it's one of my favorite things. It's so cool. It's and that's fun. not the only song that we've had that got royally screwed up. Oh boy, the interpretation. Oh, God. There tell was me more. The Imperial March that had <laughs> a very strange remix by Cell Dweller. Yep. <laughs> And oh, I don't remember what the other one was. Um, we had a couple. A, yeah, a, we definitely have. Where Alexa just informs our entire music selection of theme song. One of my favorite things that happened was um, one of the players in our campaign, uh, Discord user Krusty Cross. He was having a particularly tough session because his character was getting the shit kicked out of him, and he needed to go take a pee. So he, as he was leaving the room, he shouted to um, the uh, per, you know. The, the robotic lady whose name starts with an A because I don't want to trigger it again. She's in the room. We don't, she's we in the room. I and mean, she's always listening. He shouted, A, play Despacito. And just to like fuck with us. And and she played this like weird, the like acoustic string. And that's been Despacito. like when somebody's about to die. That sounds we play. so like, sad. Oh, great. Great. You're reminding me of my character. <laughs> <laughs> but like when Jabril's dead now, everybody is totally sad, but. The doctor's even his body. So when anything happens in the camp, anything sad happens in the campaign, we listen to like this very sad string rendition of Desposito. Yes, or the the max volume. I uh, remember we were pretty drunk at that oh, point. We were fucking sloshed, but I remember that moment. And it took us forever to get the volume back down to normal. Because Chris goes like. <laughs> 
Max Volume play. I, f- I forget what it, what it was. Was it, it Train was like, Songs or was that another thing? It was like oh, no, there was, was something like like song. a virgin or something. It was yeah. it's something that ridiculous that he just threw out there Max Volume and that's all you could hear in the room was that fucking song as we're trying to like get through this goddamn combat. It was beautiful. But I think we have some other some other ritualistic things we do and 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 maybe Eric, we touched on Skulls and Shackles, like, the ritualistic things we did were, we're going to devolve into pirate people. Yes, <laughs> and, yes. And, the Ailstorm and, and, was a blast. Play Ailstorm the whole time and drink rum the whole time. And, God, that made the that made the role-playing so much more fun with oh, yeah, just being, being a part of this, like, little group of people that's like, all right, we're not pirates. We're pirates for three hours, though. Or we're pirates for six hours. It was more like ten for that campaign. But <laughs> yeah. We did take it to the extreme. That was bad. We had nothing better to do. I'm sorry. There, there's something insanely cathartic about showing up one day a week, No, you know, every Wednesday or every Thursday or every Saturday with the exact same group of people playing the exact same characters, and we're all going to roll in at the exact same time, and we're going to listen to the same song or um, ob- ob- observe the same practices that you, you know. I'm I'm a little OCD. Like I'm a I'm, that, no no no. But that just is very comforting to me that I can have this like we this social interaction with my best friends in the world that has like a little bit of stability in my life. And it I I this question really hits home for me because you know, you're only asking if we listen to music to get pumped up, but really it's like this big ritual that's been, you know, a, a staple in our lives for the last year or so. And I think even with like the hideous lifter podcast, like we don't listen to a, a song to get us pumped up. Every session in my mind is, is, is a little bit different and I don't want to, I never wanted to link it to some song that's uniting the entire campaign because the campaign as written is a little disjointed. But we still sit down by the counter in in mine and Haley's house in the kitchen. We each have two beverages. We each talk about the prior session. We each talk about our characters. We each shoot the shit and and honestly I think that's the best conduit to get to know what, what everybody how everybody's week has been going really yeah it's not like we don't hang out on the weekends but Thursday's the preemptive hey I had a shit week I'm gonna be wasting all weekend <laughs> but it it's become such a ritual that that when I say everybody come to my house at 7.30 to start recording People show up pretty goddamn close to on time, and we don't start recording till eight thirty nine because because we have this ritual that we have to get through at the beginning that that we just do as people wanting to interact and wanting to have that stability that you're talking about, wanting to just have the session be framed up in a way that I think I think we all become much more comfortable role players in, in, in a framed up session. Yeah. It's kind of, it's weirdly comforting. I, I get where you're coming from. It is therapeutic that I can have an absolute dog shit week 
And then on Thursdays, you know, I'll after work, I'll drive to my apartment and shower and change clothes and eat dinner and then drive over here and then just like grab one of my hams that's been chilling in your in in your fridge cuz we only have 12 hams in our goddamn regular refrigerator at a time. I grab one of those hams, crack it open, lean up against the counter and just shoot the shit with you guys for 10 minutes before we get started. It it's very therapeutic. I love it. And one of the best things about these types of games in general is if you're having a bad week, if you are a bit down on whatever is going on, you get to escape a little bit by getting to be a giant lizard man with a exactly. giant blaster that may or may not look like um, a body pillow. What about, or, a, what about a mouse uh, yes, engineer? Yes, or a mouse mechanic that looks like a strobe light me- <laughs> at a Deadpool con- or not Deadpool, Dead Mouse concert, or a pirate or whatever you're going through. It's fun to play pretend for a while and yeah. take a break from the real world. So that's always exciting to well, think, have that time to do it. That's what we're all in, in some ways here for. I love this game and the mechanics and everything as a whole, but honestly, the more I play, the closer I get to my friends that I'm playing with. Like the more, the more I realize that like we could be different in what we do for a living, where we live, what we do. It doesn't matter. Like I'm getting close to these people because I, in some ways, through their role play, know them. Like I, I know the kind of role play you do, Eric. I I know it and I understand it and I like it. Same with you, Steve. Like that's that's why I love playing with you guys is because every time it's like I had a tough week, same as all of us do. I'm put I'm I'm sucking that down into into the deep dark of my belly and I'm throwing up this fucking bleachling gnome and I'm gonna <laughs> speak an Australian yeah. accent for six hours and we're all gonna have a fucking blast. With TTRPGs, I just think that with my group of friends, I have not had a bad time in the three and a half years I've been playing. I've not had a single bad time. It's all been fun and it's all been absolutely wonderful. And I think that's the beauty of it. You know, it, it's just, it's one of those experiences that I think if you're not into it, and especially if you're not into it and you're listening to it, like like maybe some people that are listening to this are just get into it like figure it out because you're going to meet some of the best people that you've ever met and yeah. and you're going to have the most fun that you've ever had with people even though it's a beautiful day outside and we're playing inside yeah. you're going to you're going to have the best time with these people pretending you're not you it's still you oh yeah i mean TTRPGs are one of like the best things that's ever happened to me. First of all, I've met some of my best friends in the world. You guys included. Well, now we're blushing. <laughs> I'm blushing, yeah. but you can't see it because the parts of me that are blushing are covered with clothing. You <laughs> got him. You know, you know, I m- meet great people, and it's it's kind of strange that you know I, I've built a few characters um, on the show and off the show that. I've you know I play for a few sessions and then I realize wow like that 
it's it's indicative of a of a piece of my personality that maybe I didn't realize I had a problem with or you know needed to address or thought that you know I needed to improve on and you want to be smart this way you play Matumba exactly man gotcha. but it, it's just very fun to 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 explore being creative and acting differently and doing something that I might not have done in in real life. It's it's insane. Like I said earlier, it's insanely cathartic. It's very therapeutic. I love it. This question was about and pre-show this, rituals, right? And, and <laughs> this one was about pre-show music. We took it in an entirely this, different direction. This now concludes the hideous laughter philosophy session. <laughs> if I were to write a book about TTRPG. <laughs> All right, guys, we had we had a lot of fun with that question. Let's keep it going. So we have a uh, question from a user named Jairus Tech. Um, I think I'm pronouncing that right. I think but Jairus is right. I think so, That's yeah. That's how I've always pronounced it in my head. Jer- I, he's all around. He, he's such a good guy. But uh, the, he, he prefaces this with burning question. Is that in what like way? Burning from earlier? Well, <laughs> I mean... I don't know. It could be that he really wants to ask the question. He thinks it's very important or he has a burning sensation in his crotchal region. Burning question. What medication do I use for a burning question? <laughs> On average, does at Phrasma saves, that's me, folks, uh, drink more hams or Horace drink more milk? Oh, well, I've, I've been waiting to make an appearance on oh, The Zone of Truth. See, see, <laughs> I've never actually seen hates him it. make oh, that voice. Yeah, it's creepy. <laughs> it is ten times it's worse fucking way worse. <laughs> mm, um, Can we make a full-size GM screen for when I, he does that? I, we need it, uh, just so that you don't watch me changing. I'm I'm gonna be honest with the fans. I drink a lot of hams. I I think it's a great beer. I, I'm not getting paid for this. I'm not making a cent. I just think it's delicious. Mm, um, hams, what a outstanding brew. Unfortunately, it doesn't come from the the teat of a mammal. I, How did I know you were gonna say teat? <laughs> you just knew. Ew. You just had to know. Uh, but in all in all reality. I can't. I could not hold my own against Horace with the milk. Yeah, I mean, people have tried. To be real, listeners, Horace is a like. You have make milk fans, and then you have Horace at a level that's far above that. That's just you know he doesn't even drink water at this point. I've I've heard people try to drink like a gallon of milk as a challenge and die. Horace could slug a five gallon bucket of milk and hold it down. Well, that's just, uh, he's got a high con. That's terrifying. Uh, what's scary about that, Eric? Did you, uh, I, I, were you not breastfed as a child? I think by the time. <laughs> God! Okay, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I think by the time you get to the bottom of the bucket, it would be warm. That's the best part. Oh, sorry. I'm now, now, now I'm done. <laughs> All right, our next question comes from user at Phrasma Saves. Eric, were you breastfed as a child? <laughs> got him. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> All right, moving on. Moving on. All right. Uh, this is this comes from our good friend Jason Lewis. I mean, the best. I say this a lot. He's a but good one. Of, one of my favorite guys. Um, he he's asking us. This may be more of a just remind me, but paper maps or slash versus roll twenty. I think there's a lot of experience around this table with both. I will say right off the bat that I love 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 prefer 
playing paper maps because honestly that just means that the same people are in the room and uh, there's a lot of really good things that come off of that but I have some experience um, especially you know in our in our rise of the rune lords campaign that lasted for Jesus almost three years um, our GM moved away and Brooks Emily and I were were still in Columbus but our GM moved away and you know, the best way to do to keep playing the game was everyone jumps on Skype and hops into Roll20. It works really well. If you're going to be playing remotely, it's the best way to do it. But I, I it's it's the best way to play remotely. But if I had a personal choice, everyone's got to be in the same room. And I, I get that, Steve, but I just feel like you can... You could build a virtual table. You could spend all of your resources building a virtual table and then never have to draw a map again. That is the benefit I will definitely say that the digital maps on Roll20 have. Though I'd say, as Griffin is showing off his expertise in craftsmanship, that digital maps on a physical board with miniatures and having the people in the same room 100%. I would not be able to... Oh, that's, that's, that's the ideal situation. Yeah, I, I can't imagine having everybody in the same room around the same table, but everybody's on their laptop. That would drive me nuts. Yeah. And my, my, my big issue with it is that I've been drawing maps since I started GMing. Eric's been drawing maps for eight years longer than that. Like He's like, old we, as shit. Well, no, it's just he, he got <laughs> no, into the, no, he no. got into the hobby. My, well, my before I basic did. art degree is coming in handy with being able. I, I literally <laughs> took a class on how to draw circles, how to draw maps. Dear God, that is <laughs> how to draw Pathfinder. We're going to talk about that off air. But, uh, <laughs> no, we're on the same group. He's he's not that old. But but where I'm getting just at is that you know Eric and I and anyone that's GM'd without the 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 benefit of laptops or a digital table. I mean, my, my gut reaction is I prefer a physical drawn map because I'm drawing it and, I, and I'm reoriented myself with all the rooms and, and getting reacquainted with the map that I've... I, the way Paizo puts it out is they, they show you a map and then they say A1, A2, A3, A4. These are all rooms that exist in this map. And, you know, if you're not drawing A1, A2, A3, A4 on the map you're kind of lost. It's it's like a cartography thing. I would say that, that physical maps has helped me in that respect, but honestly, a digital map just gives the players so much more detail. Like, Paizo hired these amazingly talented artists to put together this map that's just a beautiful thing that I think I feel bad when the players don't get to experience that. Like yeah. when there's not a broken table in the end of the room, like my description describes, that's a bummer. I want you to see that. I want you to, I, w- I want you to feel the difficult terrain. I want you to see everything that's going into that room. And the Paizo artists have done such an amazing job putting that together and putting it in the map that I want I mean, and that's why I spent the time and resources building a physical digital table so that we as players could benefit from seeing all of that awesome detail in the center of the table and and place our characters where they may. In the middle of the table, like walking through the dungeon, you can see everything that, that Paizo intended you to see 
I can't imagine going back at this point. I mean, we have we have a plexiglass screen, like you can draw on it, and and if you really want to, like draw your compass rose, draw your um, burning hands radius, or whatever it is, or, or your grease radius. If it stays, you can draw that on the map because it's plexiglass and erasable. But by the same token you get the benefits of I have to jump up on this table if I'm moving into this square. Me, as Griffin Norman, not artistically talented, a uh, terrible human being most of the time. Oh, you're not that. If I were to draw said map, I, I leave out all the furniture. It's a, it's, a, it's a completely undressed, unfurnished dungeon. They were living with cold stone walls. I don't draw any of that, and I just let people move around, but but when you get the Paizo map, it's just so fleshed out. It's beautiful. And I, I kind of want to get your opinion, Eric, because you've been drawing so long. And and I know you as a GM far surpassed me in the just, I've seen your maps. They're fucking awesome. Like you draw the terrain and you do that. How do you feel about it? So again, I have a partial art background where I actually learned 3D modeling and 2D technical drawing. So being able to draw on a grid is something I literally took classes for. I was a TA in college for how well people drew their circles on a grid. So being able to draw quickly on a grid is something that I learned, but being able to draw a broken stack of barrels and everything is something that is a bit harder to pick up. Uh, as playing some of the scenarios I've seen some people where they take wrapping paper and flip it over to see the grid on the other side and as opposed oh, to that's really smart yeah I, I've never seen or heard of that that's really smart so especially like right after Christmas yeah. it's always on sale oh yeah and it's disposable folks at home Eric just dropped a fucking truth bomb blew my mind him. yeah so the that's best awesome. the best way to prep if you're hand drawing your maps is Granted, we have a stack of a bunch of our wedding race maps now that don't get used as much. But if you can draw each room individually, you're allowed to have so much more detail because you're not wasting time in the middle of a session trying to, okay, let me draw this out. I'm on the clock here. And so as people are working and watching you draw this map, oh, okay, I need to add this. I need to add this. Where are the walls? which area is travelable versus which is a solid wall, especially in a dungeon that wraps around itself. Yeah. So if you can pre-draw your maps, that always helps. And then, I mean, if you go online, you can just kind of see some techniques people are using for hashing things out in terms of here's where walls are. That's probably the biggest thing is to be able to differentiate. But um, I think the big thing is you've got all these drawing techniques. You've built up this repertoire of just oh, like, it, I'm a GM and I can fucking draw like, Diagonal map, fuck it. I oh, don't care. Glassworks would be absolutely brutal. I hate I hate it. I, I remember watching I it for you guys. I oh man. But your preference though. Like do you do you prefer to go through that and we're almost going back to the ritualistic thing. Like do you mm -hmm. like the ritual of like drawing the map and and now I'm getting a second pass on everything that is like Every section of the map, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking, oh, this is a 12. This is where this happens. That honestly isn't as big a deal to me. The map itself, to me, is secondary to the miniatures. 
So being oh, able a mini boy. So being able to visualize what the enemies are like is so much more important to me than what the map is. Like, okay, am I attacking a zombie? Am I attacking a face spider? Am I attacking a red dragon? To me, I mean, that's why I always bought the pawn sets for yeah, the adventures yeah. I ran. So that kind of stuff is more important because that's where you can picture what you're attacking versus, I mean, yeah, we use bottle caps all the time because they're the right size. And we drink but, a lot of things. That and we also caps. drink a lot. Oh, well. So the, the digital projection, I think you get so much more fidelity in the images and really can get more in depth of feeling like you're there. That's harder to capture if you only have three colors of markers, that kind of stuff. So I think Perfect World is the digital projection or TV or whatever, and then physical miniatures. That's my preference. I absolutely I'm glad you prefer what we do, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a new change, and I don't know if I'd ever want to go back. Well, I, I think I think we as a podcast and and as you know and as off mic just groups have benefited so much from from you and Chris getting 3D printers and being able to make the minis come to life and then us building this digital tabletop where you know this is exactly what Paizo intended you to you to be walking on here's the mini that is fucking four times your size that is exactly. to scale and <laughs> personifies what you're facing I think we just gotta I mean the last step is that we all gotta get better at painting minis yeah that is something we definitely we gotta buy a ton on. of paint we gotta buy a ton of paint that'd be really cool that'd be fun summer project summer project let's all get some uh, painting yes spend more time inside instead of the main goal never no leave. no what never we do is we set up the fire pit okay have some beers outside tell me more. paint minis by the firelight into it done I, I can't guarantee we'll be able to match the colors it's fine we won't we're gonna be too drunk well, too drunk and by firelight, so you got you got two things working against you. Disaster. All right, so I think we pretty much came to a conclusion on this one. Get everybody in the same room. If you can, Roll20 is the best situation outside of, you know, everybody being together. But if you can, get everybody together. Tip a flat screen over. Pull up your PDF or your image on that. That's the way to do it. Make dope minis. Make dope minis. You have any questions about how to make that setup happen? I mean, we made it, so it can't be that hard. Yeah, up. I'm a fucking idiot, and it worked out. I will say on the topic of minis, one of the best ways to make someone more invested in their character, and I kind of pulled this trick on the um, Skull and Shackles group, is I gave everybody a, a coupon to Hero Forge. Yeah, it, was, as a, it was a very Merry Christmas. As a, and so I made everyone design their own minis, and then you're invested in your character. You don't want that character to die. You're really going to drive down and make that backstory. Character exactly. cost 30 yeah. bucks on Hero Forge. Fuck it. He's not dying. He's Except getting a backstory. Exactly. It's the death of me. Exactly. So, That's awesome. Yeah. All right, very last question, because we got to wrap things up here. This comes from a very special person. This comes from Dave. Dave? Yes, my <laughs> very special name. That's my brother. Uh, he sent me a text earlier in the week. Oh, hey. Yeah. How does Matsumbe feel about being a part-time owner and board member at Papa John's? So... No idea what you're talking about because Matumbe exists in the world of Pathfinder. However, what I have heard is that Shaquille O'Neal is a part-time owner and board member of Papa John's. So what does Matumbe and Peyton Manning have in common? All right. Here's what's going to happen. Pizzas. Half and half. 
Doesn't matter what you're ordering, you're going to get half topping, half something up. Your sauce is coming in a spiral. And your sauce is coming in a spiral. I was going to say, are you cutting it in a spiral? But the sauce is a better choice. <laughs> yes. The sauce goes in a spiral. You get half of one ingredient, half the other ingredient. Doesn't and matter what you're ordering. Between meat and half. veggie. That's correct. Because balance pervades everything. Well, I love it. Yeah. God, Eric, we've had such a fucking ball on this one. I, I, we gotta, I think, Steve, for your yes. future reference, we gotta have Eric and Tim on the same one because they're the people that form the people that are in the podcast. Well, if you want to have a discussion where the two of us desperately try to keep our BAC normal after uh, someone comes on and makes me drink four <laughs> shots in the middle of yeah, a podcast. Yeah, I'm feeling it for sure. No, but you're you're not wrong. We'll, we'll get the two of these guys on here sometime. We'll have a, a what I would like to call the GM extraordinaire. Oh, them, them and Haley. Let's oh yeah, get, get Haley let's, on let's there for that. Let's get all the GMs work, in one place, and then you just fucking leave. Yep, and then we'll all talk. <laughs> yep, yep, I'll leave because I've got better things to do. <laughs> Gonna kick him out of his own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, as not a GM, please leave. All right, so. 10 Lawn Gnomes on Discord and other social media. Eric, is there anywhere else you would want people to reach you at, or does that make sense? I am only on Twitter because of you guys. Um, So we'll we'll stick with that. Discord is fantastic, and congratulations on starting your Patreon. Thanks, buddy. Thank you very much. And we appreciate you so fucking much for for contributing to that. I mean... Happy to help. You're... help, so... One of our best friends in real life, but oh. digitally, also one of our best friends. <laughs> and also get some of that cool content. So, uh, you know, I'm excited for the folks like Eric that that contributed to be able to shape the way that we're, we're going to go forward with that content. And um, God, we love you guys. It's and, cool. and we love you, Eric. Thank you so much for coming on to this podcast. Listen, this is your opportunity. We're about to end it right now. You got any last thing you want to say to the fans, to anybody listening out there, to your mom, to your dad? Uh, mom and dad, I'm surprised you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, I think this wouldn't reach you. But yeah, to everybody else, uh, thank you for supporting these guys in their podcast. Spread the word. Uh, join the Patreon. And who knows, maybe if there's enough people that join the $25 and up tier, I'll be making some... Uh, Smaller dice towers or something Ooh. like that. Ooh. So, your boy, we'll how's spilling the beans there? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I had fun tonight. We're definitely going to do this again. We're definitely going to have you back. Thank you so much for joining us in studio. Eric Griffin, is there anything you want to say to the folks at home? I just want to say again, thanks, Eric. I love this guy. All right. I think this has been cathartic for me as one of his players i, I get to i get to you experience like, you like my word you like my cathartic exactly word. i get to experience the thought process behind the thing that almost killed our entire party and i'm loving it i hope you guys have that same feeling when i do a creature feature oh yeah it's a great time but dude this has been so much fun we're definitely gonna have you on again that's all i have to say right. I, I just I, right. I've had a blast. Steve ended before my ego gets any bigger. <laughs> Griffin, when are we going to pushing see- up the table? Griffin, when are we going to see the people? Finish your drinks, because we'll see you in two weeks, baby. Later. Later.